Howdy, y'all. Thanks for joining us, and may the 4th be with you. That's right. Today is Tuesday, the 4th of May, 2021. I'm Trey Crowder, and that's Mark Agee. What's up, Mark? Hey, are you? Uh, I know you're a happily married man, but I assume, are you working on your, your dating tape to send to Bill Gates yet? <laughs> I like how you skip straight up, skip over Melinda. Which, I mean, no, he's, no, he's gonna, no, we he's got no shot at Melinda. <laughs> no, no, yeah. I mean, like, my dating, like, one of those 80s video dating yeah. service things, like, like, you're just like, hi, I'm Mark. A little bit about me. I fucking hate Steve Jobs. He's the worst. <laughs> uh, I love graphic interfaces and uh, Excel spreadsheets, and those are my favorite activities. Uh, yeah, it's it's like I mean, like when he's like in his like what sixties, right? So he probably wants to have sex like once a year. I can get down with that. You can handle that, dollars. sure. Yeah. yeah, hey, you got to go for. It. We all got to shoot our shots, right? In this moment, um, you, you don't get many opportunities to have, to have billions of. Like my thing is like, why the fuck do you get divorced when you could be on adjacent islands and never see each other? Like you <laughs> yeah, have right. so much money. It, the, why? Like I, my least favorite thing in the world is filling out paperwork, and they can right. buy their way out of that. <laughs> just, just. You live, right. You yeah, live they in, could just stay married and just keep being, you know, mega billionaires yeah. on their separate islands and stuff. Like you say, yeah, it's you don't have to go through the whole process. I mean, those differences must be pretty irreconcilable, I guess. But hey, you know, yeah. we could we'll help you work through it, Bill, if you want us to. Me and Mark, <laughs> we're here for you, Bill. <laughs> yeah. Divorce. Uh, divorce used to just be the exclusive providence of rich people, and then us white trash really took it and ran with it as far as being poor and getting divorced. Sure did. And then uh, now it's back to being a rich people's thing again. I don't know. The real white trash move, I'm going to put my mama on blast here, as I've done countless times before, and she always loves it. The real white trash move is to just, like, get divorced but without ever actually doing it. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Which is just, like, split yeah. up but not ever to go through all that paperwork and stuff. Like, I'm pretty sure yeah. she's still legally married to my stepdad from 25 years ago or whatever. But, <laughs> you know, it's like, hey. Why lose it? Yeah, well, lose the tax break. Plus, if he if he forgets to cancel his life insurance policy, you'll collect some free money when he kills it. Or... <laughs> hey, uh, he's not a big insurance guy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> with this as always, producer Matt out there producing. This is Weekly Skews tonight. The big Arizona ballot recount that every red-blooded Trump-supporting American idiot is hinging their delusions on at present. Also, the cyber ninjas for Jesus who are in charge of said recount. In case you were wondering, it is somehow even dumber than it sounds. We also <laughs> talk about the uh, the ref- Biden administration raise- raising the refugee cap as part of a larger conversation about immigration in this country in the time of COVID and what it means for America's food supply. For that, we will be joined by our guest tonight, journalist Esther Honig. We're looking forward to it. We hope you're looking forward to it as well. All that and more on tonight's Weekly Skews. But first, as always, we begin with the Daily Dumbass. Matt, graphic, please. Tonight's dumbass, these Santa Monica anti-mask protesters for committing the age-old dumbassery of telling teenagers what to do. Matt, play the clip. We don't need masks. So, in case you're only listening and you had trouble hearing that, what that was was a 13-year-old with blue hair telling an idiot to kill himself. Or, in the words of John Mellencamp, ain't that America? (laughs) 
I, I think it was the one with pink hair. She was one turned around anyway. Oh, but either way, it's me. like All right, the one with pink hair. I'm sorry. It, it is funny because he he immediately turns to the person with him to try to save his dignity and goes like, "See, this is just like in Nazi Germany. They're so used to following orders. It's like, no, no, she did the opposite of following orders. She told you to go fuck herself when you when you told her to do something." Dude, is, it, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I'm happy to say that uh, that middle schoolers still got it. You know, like I feel like <laughs> the narrative, <laughs> I feel like that because you know, for the longest time, the conventional wisdom about like 13 year olds is like these are some of the most brutal human beings on planet Earth. Like they will rip you apart verbally. But I feel like the narrative about you know these kids today, they're all soft and too woke and too sensitive or whatever. But no, some of them are still out there swinging, baby, and I appreciate it. <laughs> It's a lot of narratives about kids are always people projecting their own securities onto right. kids, right? Because, like, uh, one, as far as, like, all the things our parents are worried about us doing, like, like doing drugs and sex and stuff, statistically, today's kids are fairly drug and sex-free, and though they're way less teen pregnancies and STDs and all that shit. So, they're except for the blue hair and stuff, they're basically the biblical teens that our 80s parents wanted us to be, right? But... Right. Uh, also about them being soft and stuff like because of the internet they're bulletproof they like words cannot sting them like like i remember right. the parkland teens the parkland teens almost got murdered immediately had the entire internet descend on them calling them liars and came out of it like <laughs> like as activists not cowed but like it's like it's kind of a yeah i really don't think you can but but boomers hate being made fun on the internet so do millennials and like and right. our age and stuff so we like oh these kids must be so miserable it's like no they're like they just yell kill yourselves and fucking keep it trucking <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right yeah no they're, they're the, the they're the natural pinnacle of the sticks and stones philosophy you know yeah Words we merely adopted the internet they uh, <laughs> yeah. they were molded by they it were born into it. it molded by it that's right <laughs> So these same kids that this so and big was supposed to be a big anti-mass protest at a school in in Santa Monica, around where me and Mark are at. Um, mm -hmm. These same kids counter protested with some um, pretty serious and and biting commentary. Here, mm -hmm. uh, Matt, won't you play play the clip if you've got it? <laughs> Concessions, valet parking, so they said the crusty crab is a metaphor for uh society and yeah. the crusty crab is a symbol of oppression they're sitting there wearing squidward mask talking about the evils of uh of the crusty crabs fascist right. policies so <laughs> uh crusty crab is a horrific oppressor he doesn't pay a fair wage he treats spongebob like shit and he's of course voiced by uh he one does. of cinema's great great villains the guy who uh, uh played the uh the bad guy in the first highlander movie i can't think of his name right now but he's like huge and very mean looking but a very nice guy it seems like he does cartoon voices but uh <laughs> Uh, one of the signs also said, I hate signs, which is a really cool protest sign <laughs> to, to annoy anti-maskers. <laughs> I like the anti-masker guy. Tries to, he tries to engage in a dialogue with them about uh, uh, what they're 
they're doing. And it's like, uh, the, 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 that's what he said. The, the crusty, crusty crab is a metaphor for society. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, love, I love when kids annoy other people. It's great. So they're out there. I mean, yes, they did scream, kill yourself, but they're also out there with their counter protest talking about fucking SpongeBob shit and whatnot. And the actual, the anti-mass protesters, we're very alarmed and upset by this. Um, <coughs> Matt, if you have that screen grab of the the message that one of them sent to the, the protest Facebook page says, Hi, everyone. We did a rally today regarding masks at a middle school in Santa Monica. What a ridiculous thing to have even done. But anyway, thank you for your support and showing up. I wanted to comment on it. I half expected some of the kids to join us or at least listen to what we had to say. However, I was very creeped out by what I saw. These kids were only 12 to 13 years old, but a lot of them were dressed like they were grooming to become Antifa. Some had <laughs> some had blue or green hair. They gave us middle fingers and told us how they love wearing masks. They had zombie looks in their eyes. It was quite scary the amount of brainwashing that these kids were under. Under. Okay, blue hair, zombie eyes, middle fingers. Like, again, just sounds like 13-year-olds to me, man. They're just out there doing their 13-year-old thing. <laughs> they, they have zombie eyes because we make kids go to school at 7 a.m. and they're up right. till 2 a.m. watching Twitch. And they're walking past you in a hurry because they're late to class and they want to stop and talk to some corny, crazy adults. And, and also, like, it's worth – we didn't show the video, but – um. Uh, one video in that thread, this guy is walking being like, hey, why are you trying to talk to my kids? Why are you talking to strange kids? It's objectively weird behavior. And these people like don't have any answers and realize how creepy they are because, again, this is an offshoot of QAnon. This whole movement revolved around trying to stop pedophiles. And here they are trying to hit up to chat up strange little girls. It's fucking insane. Dude, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, my sons are eight and nine. So that's even more extreme, but I feel like if they were 12 and 13 and there were weirdos standing out there trying to talk to them about how the virus is a hoax or whatever, and they shouldn't be wearing masks or whatnot. Yeah. I'd be very upset by that. Um, that's not cool. Generally speaking to approach, as you said, strange children, all children who aren't your own are strange and you shouldn't approach strange children with some bullshit. Uh, but even you if, know, even if I wasn't afraid of like the white pedal van scenario, like even if I agree with the person's politics, don't fucking talk to my kid about politics. They're right. 12. Leave them alone, man. Right. I don't know what to, it's, it's yeah. All right. So moving on to our honorable mentions for daily dumbass tonight, we've got some good ones for you. The first one is, um, Anybody who thought that the good people of the state of Utah, the good and very white people of the state of Utah, wouldn't figure out that Mitt Romney is a communist. <laughs> well, we got news for you. Play the clip. This is Romney in front of his people. So what do you think about President Biden's first hundred days? Now, you know me as a person who... Uh, who says what he thinks, and I don't hide the fact that I wasn't a fan of our last president's character issues. And I'm also no fan... Aren't you embarrassed? <laughs> no. 
They're not. No, they're not. No, that that yeah, that would require shame. They are famously and utterly shameless people. That but like being serious about that for a second though, I saw another article that was going around today that said Mitt Romney and Liz Cheney are finding out that the Republican Party is basically done with them meaning like there's no room in the party anymore for someone like them you know someone who has some measure of reason left <laughs> about anything yeah i know i know i'm not yeah. trying to give i'm not trying to give either one of them too much credit but i'm saying that's how extreme it is is like even they are like personas non grata in the in the current day republican party just for being yeah. like listen I think he was a little out of line or whatnot. I mean, it it's scary, uh, but. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's in Utah. That's essentially the same as like that. that that's the equivalent of January 6th in Utah, which has happened there. That was a, that, that was a deranged mob. Uh, <laughs> that's as wild as they get, you know, that's since true. they stopped yeah. being, a, since they stopped being a militia in the 1800s. Um, but yeah, I mean that's like they, they. I love them calling Mitt Romney a communist. The guy who ran Bain Capital is right. a communist now. Like, it, like just words have no meaning anymore. I don't even know how to parse it. <laughs> his literally only problem with Trump is a sex criminal. He loves everything else about Trump. Um, yeah. So, yeah. all right. Our next honorable mention. I've said multiple times that I'm thrilled <laughs> to be back to the era of frivolous scandals. You know, where it's like, w like when Trump was in office, it was a legitimate, insane scandal every other day. And before that, it was Obama and it was tan suits and mustard stains and all this type of stuff. And we're back to that era now. And the latest one involves Joe Biden's flower picking policy. I get, you'll never believe the audacity of President Joe Biden when it comes to picking flowers. What am I talking about? I barely know, but let's play the clip and let One American Network or Newsmax, one of the two, explain it to you. I think it's Newsmax, Matt. yeah. All right, folks, I want you to take a look at this. Joe Biden today getting on Marine One, and he stops and picks up, I think it's a dandelion, but it's a dandelion that hasn't even blossomed into a flower yet like it gives everybody asthma so you blow it it goes everywhere and then everybody starts sneezing well he picks up the weed and gives it to jill as what i guess is supposed to be some kind of a sweet gesture he's getting dandelions all over the place i say it was a planted dandelion there who knows folks i want <laughs> this the flower was planted <laughs> this dastardly son of a bitch mark giving his wife a dandelion and also giving asthma to all of his uh crew members by the usage yeah. of this planted yes the dandelion that obviously was planted there what what did that part even like he spent the whole time talking about how like who picks a dandelion, gives it to their wife? What a fucking lunatic. But then ends it with, it was clearly planted. Hmm. What was that supposed to even mean? The, Just everything's the, a conspiracy now? Everything's yeah, got to be that? And uh, and I am uh, I am open to the idea that a lot of stuff we see that looks like spontaneous videos or, or, or uh, you know, staged social media events, you know, like... Uh, you know, kiss cam gags at sporting events, or right. see, a lot of them seem to use paid extras and stuff, which is fine. Who cares? Whatever. Uh, but like the first half, like two thirds of the video is like, fellows, is it gay to give your wife a flower? <laughs> yeah, and, then right. the, 
And then the then it pivots to like, you know what? I think this is a goddamn psyop. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like they got to shove that into any given narrative yeah. they have at some point. They got to shove psyop in there. Like nothing is real. It's all the deep state, regardless of what the thing they're actually talking about has to do with, up to and including picking dandelions. Cannot escape the Infowars track. We're, we're, we've all we've all been drafted into the info wars. It's twenty four seven. You can't like somebody picking a flower is up to something. Can't can't just want to give his wife a flower. <laughs> yeah, producer Matt points out that Trump exposed the Marine One crew to COVID. Sure, sure, but not asthma from a flower, Matt. So whatever. I don't want to hear that. Fuck you, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Our last honorable mention is the uh, the city code people in a small Minnesota town who ever thought they could get a uh, a small business owner from that area to concede in a giant flag war. What am I talking about? A small business owner, owner of a construction business in uh, Buffalo, Minnesota, I believe it was, was flying a gigantic, gigantic Trump 2020 flag that apparently yep. was against the code for for their local ordinances or whatever but he said he'd rather go to jail than uh give in to that code so what he did was he put up an even bigger and dumber trump flag 3600 square feet and it reads trump jfk jr where we go one we go all now if you're wondering where did all that come from? Well, let's just take it straight for the dip, from the dipshit horse's mouth. Matt, play the, play the clip, please. Johnson joins us now. Jay, great to have you back. Thanks for coming on. Yeah, thank you. So it's, it's, it's a bigger flag, slightly different than the last one. It has the names Trump and JFK Jr. on it. Is that right? With the slogan, where we go one, we go all. I mean, where, where do you, how do you bring JFK into this? Explain that a little bit to me. Uh, well... JFK and Donald Trump were friends, and uh, um, and uh, I, I don't know if you know this, but Donald Trump is president, yeah. and Donald Trump needs a vice president. So when the time was right, I bring him out, and he's your new vice president. <laughs> there you go. All right. <laughs> well, there you have it. There you have it, Mark. If you guys don't know, well, two layers to this. One... The first half of it, I'm a big fan of uh, any sort of homeowner homeowners association dispute or city code dispute where someone does something stupid and then the city tells them they can't do it and then they triple down and make it way worse. Like somebody when somebody paints their house like pink to like piss yeah. off their HOA or whatever. Big fan of that kind of shit. <laughs> it always makes me laugh. Uh, but the second thing is the JFK Jr. stuff is QAnon. I don't know if we've explained this before, but one of the big conspiracy. Uh, QAnon conspiracy theories that JFK Jr. faked his death in the 90s, the plane crash, to um, uh, help Don, Don, Donald Trump at that point start fighting the deep state to, to, to end the pedophile ring. Again, this was the 1990s uh, when Donald Trump was bankrupt and a loser. Uh, and so uh, there's actually a guy who runs in QAnon circles who uh, everyone thinks is JFK Jr. And he shows up to rallies and everyone like lauds him and high fives and shit, which is crazy because he knows he's not JFK Jr. He fucking knows he's not JFK Jr. Right. There's been lots of weird stuff. Like I remember that famous viral video of, of, of Trump with the guy in the Easter bunny suit looking like weirded out by Trump. 
uh, QAnon thought that was JFK Jr. in the Easter Bunny suit, and that was his big <laughs> being introduced to the public. So, yeah. Well, listen, Mark. Don't make fun. Of, don't make fun of this guy too much, okay? Because this guy's due for a big win, okay? And it's on the horizon as we move in mm-hmm. to our actual stories tonight, um, because this guy's obviously a massive member of the MAGA world, and the MAGA world is convinced that the ongoing Arizona ballot audit will pave the way to a reversal of the outcome of the 2020 election. Trump, Trump's victory is right around the corner, Mark, because of Arizona and cyber ninjas. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Arizona is in the middle of doing a Senate's commission, this uh, audit of a bunch of ballots, not all the ballots, just ballots from Democratic precincts and just the presidential election. So uh, it's not clear what they're doing because uh, they've hired, they, they've hidden all their methods and what their goals are. They don't tell anybody. They just trucked all the ballots to this like convention center and are fucking around with them. And nobody knows anything. They, it's, it's, it's a ridiculous clusterfuck of pointlessness. And uh, case in point, um, the guy they hired to run it, one of the people involved to do the cyber part of it, is this guy from Florida who runs a company called Cyber Ninja. Now, he's a huge election fraud conspiracy theorist and uh, a lunatic. And his company has no special expertise in election fraud or election systems. Uh, and oh, this is a different this is a different guy. There was another guy helping run the ballot, run the run the, uh, the recount was actually at January 6th. So that's fucking great. Um, one of the things they're doing. OK, so let's show the video of Cyber Ninja because no one even knows who's funding this or how much money Cyber Ninja is making. And here's how he responded to questions about that. If you but who is funding this audit? We know Cyber Ninjas is running the operation. The AZ Senate put up $150,000 for this audit, but the rest comes from private funding. Doug Logan cannot tell us how much his company received in full, nor who the backers are, saying he didn't know. We also heard from Democratic Arizona State Senator Martin Quezada via Zoom about privacy concerns with this audit. But here's Logan first. There's a lot of Americans here, myself included, they're really bothered the way our country is being ripped apart right now. We want a transparent audit to be in place so that people can trust that the results so we can get everyone on the same page. If we go through here and we don't find any fraud, I'm going to be ecstatic. Yeah. Okay? I'm going to love that. And I want to be able to tell people that. If we go through here and we find fraud, I want to fix it so that our country and democracy works. I know you guys want to paint me as like some bad guy in here. I'm involved in this and putting everything on the line with my company because I care about our country. What is the most trouble? So, a couple of the, you almost sound sane there, right? And this right. is a, this is kind of an okie dokie entire Republican Party's doing because that sounds like I just want to prove to my fellow Republicans there was no fraud so we can all accept Joe Biden as president and move on, right? That's kind of what he's saying, except he doesn't mean a word of it because one, these, are, these ballots were marked with blue and black pens. If you remember that big fight over, over, over using different pens or whatever, where some people thought they were told to use blue pens and those weren't red, so their votes didn't count. That was like one of the Trump's conspiracy theories back in November. So these machines are read blue and black ink. You're supposed to mark up the ballots if you're if you're if you're marking stuff that's suspicious with red ink. They're caught using blue and black ink, or for the for the audit. So that's exactly how you would change votes if you wanted to fucking do that. A judge had to ban blue and black ink uh, pens from the goddamn building to keep them from fucking around. They've been leaving doors unlocked, reporters have been sneaking in the back. Um, and 
a little bit of insanity before we get the UV light stuff. Play the, uh, if you got it, uh, the, the Antifa uh, disaster prep video, Matt. The apparent target, the state fairgrounds, home right now to the crazy town carnival and the Senate Republicans election audit inside Veterans <laughs> Memorial Coliseum. This excerpt is from an extreme threat scenario for the audit. It expects an attack to start at the chemical storage area across a busy intersection from the fairgrounds. The attackers, labeled as Antifa, would use a fire in the storage area as a diversion to breach the fairground walls surrounding the Coliseum. Far-right conspiracy theorists have long believed the audit is a... Yeah, so they basically imagined a horrific attack from Antifa, described it in vivid detail, and put it out as a plan they're fighting back against. Uh, they asked the go uh, Governor Ducey for National Guard to surround the the, the uh, Coliseum, which I love the little detail there. It's next to like this weird carnival. <laughs> That's like yeah. very oh, Arizona. Yeah, that was one hundred percent on purpose. Home to the crazy <laughs> town carnival, and also this yeah. thing, which totally so, unrelated. Governor Ducey is, by the way, a, he was a huge Trumpist. Trump's turned on him for not helping him over the election. But like he, we, they asked for National Guard. They told him to fuck off. You're fine. You're safe. There's no Antifa threat to kill you in a chemical weapons attack for trying to find, yeah. uh, you know, uh, uh, watermarks on ballots. Which brings us to UV lights. So talking about the the okie doke and like that Newsmax guy interviewing the JFK the JFK Jr. flag guy. I think it's sort of an interesting like tangent to this because. The news media is not equipped to ask questions about this stuff because it seems like a funny little sideshow, right? Because they don't know what they're actually talking about. Like this story right here, which says, what could they be looking for? It's like 30 paragraphs in before we get to QAnon. Except right. the whole reason they're doing this is QAnon. They, they're not saying it's QAnon because they know it sounds crazy to roughly 80% of regular people. But there's a huge QAnon conspiracy theory that Donald Trump lost the election on purpose. And he did that to... <laughs> He put a bunch of watermarks on ballots so he could so you'd know the fraudulent ballots. They wouldn't have the watermarks. And these watermarks only show basically he entrapped the Democratic Party into, into doing a bunch of voter fraud. So they're looking for watermarks, these UV lights and not finding jack shit because they had found watermarks issued by Donald Trump, proving the pedophile cabal is real. And he trapped them in electoral fraud. Right. You would have fucking heard about it by now. So, yeah, essentially. Yeah. Literally, the only explanation for why they would be doing this UV light thing is some QAnon conspiracy bullshit. Like when you talk to any kind of election official with any credibility about what is the methodology behind the UV light stuff, they're all like, I have literally no idea what on earth the UV light could possibly prove. The only explanation for it is the QAnon thing. Yeah, there's like someone would be like, are they looking for fingerprints? And it's like, but there'd be like, uh, there'd be like a bunch of fingerprints in the ballot because you'd have the person who voted, you'd have you know any one of the relatives who if they if they filled out at home, you'd have uh, whoever they handed to at the ballot place, you'd have like any of the chain of people involved in the counting of it. It, it doesn't prove anything to find fingerprints. <laughs> Unless you found Hillary Clinton's fingerprint on a bunch of ballots in, 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 you know, in Arizona, which I guess would be suspicious. Um, but those are just 666s in a, in a pentagram. So uh, I guess you'd know them immediately. Uh, this is all is like absolutely insane. And you can't trust any of it. And even the people who pretend to learn their lessons. For example, another one of the guys running this recount is a former secretary of state named Ken Bennett in Arizona, who 
whose claim to fame prior to this was in 2012, was part of a, a, a group of guys who were investigating Obama being born in, in uh, not being Kenya. born in Hawaii, being born in Kenya. Yeah. And he tr- literally tried to uh, go to court to keep Obama off the ballot in Arizona because he wasn't born in America. And he later apologized for that and said he'd learned from it and felt bad about getting caught up in the birtherism stuff. And part of him being busted for that was a bunch of emails he sent. Again, this is in print. The reporters got a hold of two authorities in Hawaii trying to prove that Obama, Obama wasn't born in America. He was caught doing this. And he, someone asked him about it the other day. And here's a video uh, of that exchange where he fucking lies. There's a lot of talk about trust. You know, part of, part of your history is launched an investigation into a conspiracy theory. No, I did not. <laughs> I, I did not launch an investigation, so I'm not going to even address He apparently is hanging it like, I did not launch an investigation on, like, maybe you didn't do anything official other than send a bunch of emails investigating. So I don't know what, uh, some hyper-technical version of investigation he's, uh, uh, I guess, denial on but he didn't learn shit no this is in good faith none of these people uh, ever become better people or want to actually participate in american democracy they suck full stop yes um, and because i've mentioned multiple times calling them cyber ninjas for jesus just so y'all know doug logan the ceo of cyber ninjas on their website has a bunch of jesusy stuff about how they perform cybersecurity in the name of the lord and they're out to stop evil hackers in the way that yeah. the bible prescribes and whatever. they do He's, his, his company ostensibly does what they did before they became election fraud experts was they do ethical hacking, which is like you try to find security loopholes. So you can tell yeah. companies about it. It's kind of like you ever seen sneakers. It's kind of like that, but not as cool because Robert Redford was in that. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So moving into our next segment and getting towards getting our guest out here. Another thing happened this week in the ongoing uh controversy over America's so-called border crisis and the constant arguments over the state of immigration in this country the biden administration after receiving a lot of blowback for not doing this previously officially announced they were raising the refugee camp to sixty-two thousand five hundred. uh initially it was going to be left at a fifteen thousand refugee limit which is what the trump administration said which is insanely low sixty-two thousand five hundred is still low but they responded to the sort of blowback they got for it by announcing they were going to raise it what were you going to say, Mark? I was going to say you said refugee camp at first. It's cap. But cap. You, just I, I meant cap. Yeah. I'm sorry. Refugee yeah. cap yeah. is what I meant. No, just because those are just because they're they're like, I, no, I know what you, you meant. No, you, no, I appreciate that. I meant refugee uh, cap. Yeah, there are there are camps at the border. Obviously, just talking about making specific specific what we're talking about. Uh, so the thing about so I was going to stick, stay at the old Trump limit, which sucked. And he, uh, he, so they, they harassed him to get up to 62.5, which is about half what his campaign promised. So hopefully we can get that up to 125 next year. But those are still incredibly low. We've been taking fewer and fewer refugees constantly since the 80s. That The refugee cap in 1980 was about 240,000. So there's absolutely no reason that we are doing this. Um, I hate... Like I hate even talking about this because, like, but not because it's not important, but because, um, like, it's not my business whether somebody wants to live in Arizona, Arizona over Oaxaca or whatever. Like, it's not like they're not hurt. If you want, you want to come here and not hurt people and pay taxes and live and have a better life, it's none of my goddamn business. I, I don't. 
you're not taking anything from me. So I, I just hate the way we talk about this stuff. Like, why are we all collectively deciding the humanity of others at our border? It, it, it frustrates me a little bit. It's like when we talk about gay rights or trans rights, it's like, it's none of my business. Like, why am I, why am I arguing about whether someone else should have rights? Or stuff? It's For sure. I completely agree. Also, the fact that this is a country literally built uh, by and yeah. for immigrants, as you know, we all know, but half of us consistently ignore. But anyway, to, before we continue this conversation, let's get our guest out here because she has a lot to say about it, I believe. Our guest tonight has built her career working as a reporter for public radio stations across the Midwest. Now an independent journalist, she spends time reporting internationally from Mexico and from her home in Colorado, where she works to tell stories about agriculture, U.S. immigration policy, climate change, and rural issues. She is a 2021 fellow for the UC Berkeley 11th Hour Food and Farm journalism fellowship and you can see her latest piece which was produced in collaboration with the food and environment reporting network covering the impact of the covid19 pandemic on migrant farm workers who work to put food on our tables in the may 17th print issue of the nation ladies and gentlemen please welcome our guest tonight esther honig esther hey hi thanks for having me yeah, no, Hi, thanks for being here. Uh, yeah, sorry, sorry, it took us a minute to get uh, to find our way there, but we're glad you're here. Um, I actually wanted to start, Esther. I hope this is okay with doing a little bit of an update from our previous episode last week. Last week we talked about the great hamburglary, uh, yeah. the narrative that Fox <laughs> News was putting up, putting out there about how Democrats were coming for America's hamburgers. You've been covering America's food system and how it all works for years. So can you shed some light on the, the facts of the matter where the, the hamburglary are concerned? You know, I all I can grasp from that was that it was a very ridiculous and false narrative from Fox News. But you know, I, I did think it was quite ironic just looking back at this past year. Um, Fox News didn't seem as concerned when workers were dying by the, um, you know, scores of workers were dying in these meatpacking plants uh, from COVID-19 outbreaks um, to, you know, supposedly ensure that we wouldn't see a shortage of burgers in our marketplaces and in our restaurants. And it, it didn't seem to be a, an issue then. So it's just funny to think that there's not... Um, that they value burgers very highly, um, maybe more so than they do human lives. Um, and in this instance, perhaps, um, well, you know, I won't go into that too much. I, I honestly, the how they've spun this being a, a, a ban from the Biden administration on burgers is, is just ridiculous. But um, you don't want to get between America and their burgers. Uh, it just seems <laughs> like it's one of those t issues like you just you do not touch, um, whether it's human lives or whether it's our planet. There is no, um, there's no sacrifice too great for burgers. So, right. so I didn't even, I didn't even make that connection, but that's, but that's like, like, like uh, there was a time last year whenever there, there was an official, very big concern that we'd see disruptions in uh, 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 a lot of food chains, including meat supply chains, and people right. stocked up on that. So they toilet paper, and I guess what we did was decided to throw humans into the meat grinders along with the burgers, and then we they kept the kept the food going. But yeah, it's like we just right. general, we just generally don't think about where food comes from enough, you know, which is like, I grew up on a farm. So it's always been a thing for me. People are so disconnected from their food. They, they, they don't even know what animal hamburgers come from, you know? So. And, and these days our meat system is so consolidated and um, there are just a handful of incredibly powerful corporations <laughs> that control, you know, something like upwards of, I want to say over half close to 70%. These are just numbers off the top of my head. I, I don't have the statistics in front of me, but what we do have is four very powerful corporations that control the majority of our 
meat processing in this country. There are names that you don't even hear of, things like um, Smithfield and JBS, um, but these are the people that produce our meat and they have a lot to do with, you know, you, you don't really know where your meat comes from. Um, it's, a, it's a system that uh, is massive and um, they, they're not really concerned with how much you know as a consumer. Uh, I think that's that's part of the their their setup. So, right. um, if, if you don't know if you don't know what JJBS is, they're a Brazilian-based meat company who has almost single-handedly toppled several Brazilian governments and uh, got got banned for uh, exporting meat into America, beef into America, because they were bribing uh, inspectors in China and Europe to accept uh, diseased meat, and they're still getting farm subsidies from the U.S. government. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they for importing tainted meat for um, paying yeah. off the inspectors and, and bringing you know potentially hazardous product into the United States um, they um, have been uh, prosecuted in Brazil as um, you know they've bribing thousands of government officials um, to do their work and it's a it is a company that does not have a great reputation. And so when it came to this last year with COVID-19 outbreaks, um, a lot of people who have been watching them closely, including myself, knew that when you have um, vulnerable people working for them in this sort of a situation, they were likely not going to take the measures that they should to put their workers ahead of their bottom line. And that's what they did. They, you know, put profits first. Um, so like you were mentioning, there was, uh, when there was a, there was a lot of rhetoric over there being possible shortages that we needed to keep these plants open. Otherwise we weren't going to have food in our grocery stores. Um, that you know, rhetoric was, uh, it was repeated by state governors. It was repeated by the companies. Our president at the time signed an executive order to uh, basically encourage these plants to stay open. Um, everything was done to make sure that they did not close. And at the end of the day, you saw a lot of this meat, for example, from Smithfield being exported to China. It wasn't even going onto US shelves, um, all under this notion of, you know, avoiding food shortages, shortages in the US, you know, like these are our heroes, these guys are feeding Americans, and it was really just to, to feed their bottom line at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. Wow. So Kind of on that note, you've spent a lot of time over the last year covering the impact of COVID-19 on food and farm workers. And you kind of just, you touched on the sort of false narrative. It's like, oh, we got to keep these people working at any cost because it's what yeah. puts food on our tables when that that's not entirely what was happening. It was going elsewhere and just feeding their bottom lines. But can you talk a little bit more about what you saw from the Trump administration or just in recent months when it came to the resources needed to fight COVID-19 in these agricultural facilities and meatpacking facilities and the reality of that? Um, you know, I think COVID-19 really uh, kind of blew wide open the conditions that people have been working under for decades uh, in these industries. So meatpacking, working in the fields, um, whatever sector of agriculture that may be, people who are excluded from things like overtime or the right to organize, which means like if you get together with your coworkers to demand better re uh, conditions that you have the right not to be fired. Um, so these are, you know, really basic rights that a lot of us rely on. And um, a lot of agricultural workers are exempt from these. Um, or they are, you know, in just such vulnerable positions that they fear going to their bosses to ask for better conditions, better PPE, uh, sick time off because they were exposed to someone with COVID-19. All of these things um, really highlighted the circumstances they already live in. And under the Trump administration, we really just saw a lot of cheering to keep these plants open. Um, even the 
uh, executive order that he signed, there was some um, people were uh, perhaps thinking that this would mean that the companies would not be legally liable if workers came after them um, in the courts to sue over these conditions over people who had died um, or for just you know neglect of keeping workers safe. And we've seen the first case coming out of Iowa where a federal judge ruled that basically um, that executive order was not enough, um, that the, the company cannot cite that executive order as being grounds for keeping their plant open and acting in complete negligence to their workers' health. Um, so that's really interesting. Um, so these, these companies, which are already facing a number of lawsuits for things like tampering with prices in the market uh, when it comes to the price of a boiler chicken or um, a pig or a hog, um, they're facing possibly even more legal consequences now um, as workers potentially start to come after them. Um, but that is all to say, now looking at the Biden administration, we've seen a new piece of legislation. Um, he is behind called the Farm Work Modernization Act. And that's a pretty significant piece of legislation that would give a lot of um, all of the farm workers um, an estimated over a million um, estimated farm workers who are undocumented. And that would give them basically a uh, sort of certificate or um, if you will, or, or something that it's a, a work permit in agriculture that they can remain in the country and they don't have to fear deportation. And then there's a number of years tacked onto that. They'd have to continue to work in agriculture to then get legal status. Um, this bill provides a lot of other protections uh, for farm workers at the federal level. It's very, um, in my mind, very significant. It's probably the biggest legislation for farm workers since Reagan in the 1980s when he granted millions of farm workers amnesty um, who were here undocumented. Uh, your your last piece in the nation um, was wonderful, by the way. Uh, it, it besides all the great information, you're you're a great writer. And it's very readable, and you have great eye for detail. And like, there's so much. For, for those that didn't know, and you know the stats better than me, but like um, a huge chunk of American produce over the winter months is grown in Arizona. Like I think it was like 90% of greens or something like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the workers who work in those fields uh, uh, commute back. I don't think I think people who don't live in border states don't think of it this way, but people commute across the border. It's, it's not just a, a thing people sneak across. People go back and forth to work and go through official channels and they have, you know, yeah. guest fees and, and certificates and stuff. And like the the... The, the the hurdles they have to go through and the, the contrast were like they have no there there's no they have no social distancing and there's very little mask uh, use um enforced among the workers they're crowded around to get through the gate but they're 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 processed more slowly because customs and border patrol are observing social distancing and aren't allowed in many people in the building so they don't get covid it's like mm -hmm. it, it was like it was so stark that it's like oh here's exactly what we care about and how it works. And it's just, it yeah, that's a great observation. I hadn't um, actually thought about it in those specific terms, but that's, that's a great line that you just drew. You know, I think um, a lot of it really does come back to the notion that America still just does not want to, or has not recognized that our farm workers um, are foreign born, the majority of them. And that grows every year as we bring in more and more foreign guest workers to do the jobs that we cannot get, um, basically people with better options to do. Um, this is very hard labor. You have to be conditioned in it from a young age um, to be able to sustain the heat and stoop labor. And um, the people who are doing this work are, like you said, coming across the border and even at a, you know, 
at a border checkpoint um, where it's ironic the the building itself is built to in a, in a design that emulates the fields of Arizona was what the um, designers said when I when I read up about it and even then you still the the you know security at this border um, there's just not there's the recognition that this port is shouldering Arizona's agricultural economy but yet um, there's a disconnect somewhere there <laughs> but we're just like you said like we're going to take social distancing measures for our agents but um, these workers are not going to give be given some some sort of priority to get through to get to work. Uh, I always think about this. I remember, uh, and th- I'm just pulling this from my memory right now off the top of my head, but I know this happened. It was years ago now, but it sort of illustrates this disconnect between the hardcore anti-immigrants in any fashion policy of a lot of the people on the right and the reality of, like you were just saying, what our farm workers, you know, what the demographics are in this country. I'm from Tennessee and I remember years ago now there was this big, this big new sweeping anti-immigration policy in Alabama, our neighbor to the South. And they put it into effect and passed it and Republicans were super Mm -hmm. happy and everything. And then that year, the, um, economy took a major hit because Mm -hmm. of the massive losses that, that came from the harvest that year because they didn't have, they couldn't, yep. they didn't have the labor for it because they had <laughs> forced them all out with their, you know, xenophobic policies or whatever. Um, and sort of what, what you having worked in this kind of area for a long time as a journalist, how do you see that sort of, that kind of that disconnect or how that line is drawn between sort of the reality and the philosophy, if you want to call it that, that so many people have. Well, you know, I think there's, you know, you were just mentioning this earlier, there's so much of a disconnect of where our food even comes from. I think it's fairly easy for people to make these sweeping arguments that we don't need this community of workers or we don't need these foreigners coming into our country without understanding, you know, because no one really knows what that looks like. How many people have said, can say that they've gone out onto a lettuce field to talk with those workers, to hear about what their lives are like and to speak with them and know who they are. I mean, even just to see a workforce of you know, field workers is, is not common. These things are off in rural parts of the country where a lot of us don't see that happening. So I think it's very easy to make those sorts of statements um, that can be very uh, false. And also, um, I think it's just one of the these great American hypocrisies that we can... Um, you know, neglect the, to to acknowledge the fact that we wouldn't, our, our food system would collapse. Um, at the start of this pandemic in March, um, it was, it's a very busy time of year when foreign guest workers come in on H-2A visas. And the first thing that our State Department did was close down U.S. embassies to stop processing visas. Only emergency visas were to be processed. And these are, you know, people of very high power and importance, meaning you know, the, the normal day-to-day tourism visas, anything people have been waiting months and years for visas, all of that was to come to a screeching halt, including the H-2A visas. And farm workers and their associations, their national groups, which are very powerful, um, were just up in arms. And they repeated over and over again, if you don't give us our guest, our guest workers, our food system will crumble. You know, these are, we, right. we rely on these people to keep our food system going. Um, and I think it's only in moments like this last year that we can attest to that, that we can see that in, in, in daylight. There was a 
I mean, like less than a month ago, Republicans tried to make it a big talking point that Joe Biden was importing COVID into the country by by having slightly looser immigration restrictions or whatever. And then you contrast that with this official policy that does nothing to keep these workers from getting COVID. It's like you don't have to actually have any problem with COVID coming in from Mexico. You just want. To, to, to spread immigrant hate. It's, it's very, it's very weird. Yeah. It's, um, um, it's a very easy scapegoat is what it is. It always has been. And um, yeah, it's uh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I did enjoy it. Like, it's like to think about the actual cost of food. Cause I don't think Americans think about the actual cost of stuff enough where, whether it's the clothes that come in and come in with from like other countries with made with child labor or whether it's like, like a head of lettuce costs me like 99 cents or $1.50 at the store. But you have an anecdote in your story about this guy who after getting four hours of sleep, he takes a taxi to the border at 1am to get in line. So he's far enough ahead in line to actually get through before work starts. Like he, his workday starts at 1am, even though he doesn't start getting paid till 6am or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he does it a seven hour days. commute. Yeah. Yeah. He does, it, he does it six days a week so he can have pizza with his kid on Sundays. It's like it was just like a wild right. anecdote. And if you yeah. if you divide that time, you know, his hourly salary, his, his daily salary, of, of, um, if you add the hours he takes to commute, his hourly wage drops from around, you know, 12 to $13 to something like $4. You know, when you right. look at, um, that's just the math off the top of my head, or not the, the math that I've looked at, but do not have in front of me for all of you who are maybe keeping track of that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, um, we have a free market and that predicts the, or that determines the price of food. And it's not just the farm workers who are hurting with low wages. It's also farmers, family farmers who have to meet these competitive prices. And, um, if there may perhaps were policy that recognized, um, what our food actually costs to grow and distribute, um, Perhaps there could be more investment into the health and safety of our workforce. But you also hear from farm workers, and it's not a lie, that the cost of labor is the most significant cost for food production right now. And it has grown uh, extensively in the last few years, in the last decade or so, because there is an increasing labor shortage, because we have fewer people willing to do these jobs. And so we bring in people on H-2A visas, which is an incredibly expensive process. And so it is really, um, it's pinning our domestic food supply in a corner, and it is also um, forcing human beings to live in less than ideal conditions. Um, so this has been wonderfully informative, and we very much appreciate you coming on here, Esther. But before we go, I wanted to uh, give you an opportunity to, A, let people know how they can follow your stuff and read, and read because you are a very good writer, and as Mark said, um, very much have your finger on the pulse of these issues and kind of, uh, <clears throat> you know, convey them in a way that's very easily digestible. So people should look you up, but also let people know how they can find you. And if there's anything that we kind of didn't, if we didn't get to anything, what any major takeaway you have for everybody right now, or w- one thing you wish people understood better, or anything like just parting thoughts basically that we didn't kind of get to or allow you to put out there, please hit us with that right now before we go. Oh, okay, oh gosh, all right, okay. Well, I know, um, you I don't can follow put too me. Much pressure on you. Sorry, <laughs> it's a big just, moment. Just whatever um, you got, <laughs> you can follow me. I'm on Twitter, it's at Esther Honig. Um, that last name is H O N I G. 
And, um, you know, I think this last year has really, like it has for so many sectors of our economy and, and aspects of our society really blown up in the inequalities that exist. And I think the important thing is that people really are starting to talk about farm workers and meatpacking and things that maybe they didn't before. This is the first time, I think this might be the only time in my lifetime that I will see meatpacking on a national headlines. Um, uh, of course, it also was a few years earlier when it came to immigration raids, right? Um, I just think it's an important time that people can really grasp some of these issues to realize how important they are and um, become informed about them because they really are at the heart of so much of what um, keeps our country going. Uh, there's um, some research that I'm doing right now looks at some of the states that are passing uh, policies to better protect farm workers because in this day and age, it's incredible to realize that, that farm workers were excluded um, from the National Labor Rights Act. And so they are not protected when it comes to organizing and they cannot be guaranteed the minimum wage. And um, they and domestic workers are the only two laborers in that category that are excluded from rights that we um, supposedly very much cherish in this country. And the basis of that is racism and it comes from a history of slavery. So I guess I'll yeah. <laughs> leave you with that. <laughs> no, very poignant note to end on. Thank you very much, Esther. We appreciate it. Thank you for uh, for coming on the show. Esther, Thank you, Esther. Thank everybody. Thank you so much for having me. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I'll admit, I mean, I care about all the things we were just talking about, and I'm on Esther's side with all of that. But like, I don't, you know. I'm a fat American like the rest of us, meaning I don't I don't think about I don't think about where this actually comes from when I'm about to eat a cheeseburger that I made for myself. You know, I don't ever think about it. It just yeah, it came from the store down the street. That's where I went and got it. You know, yeah, I mean, like a part of this is like one thing uh, America does is, is it foists all responsibility for making ethical choices onto individual people. Uh, which is a hustle. It's not like if you, you, we literally the, the idea of representative government is you outsource big picture thinking to other people over, over, over the global issues for other people to do for you. Like it shouldn't be my job as a person buying groceries to think about why it is the government subsidizes corn so much when that's easily like, <laughs> right. like yeah. reaped by, uh, yeah. by, by giant machines and no people work there. Whereas the price points for like lettuce and stuff are so low that people can get paid jack shit. Like let's flip it. Let corn be on its own for a while. Subsidize lettuce, let those people get $20 an hour. And it's, it's a, it's a, it's a, it shouldn't be, I don't know. I don't even know what a solution is. If I go into less buying strike, does that help? Like if organized one does it help drive up prices or that would be, that'd be the opposite. The price would collapse, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, no, Esther's great. You all should all follow her, Esther Honig. Um, that, that piece um, in the Nation, yeah, you should all read it. Um, it's uh, called "The Story Behind Your Salad: Farm Workers, COVID nineteen, and a Dangerous Commute." Yeah, there you go, right there. Um, yeah. So let's get at least a few questions and/or comments up here. I, I said in the video I posted earlier, we're going to talk about what you guys think uh, the weirdest thing they're going to find on Rudy Giuliani's phone is. Mark says dick pics from Borat. I like that. That's yeah. a good one. Yeah. yeah, hit us with whatever else you got. But also, I wanted to ask Mark because you're about to go to Florida. How yeah. are you feeling? How are you feeling about that, Mark? About going to Florida? You excited? <laughs> Florida, it's, you know, you're going in the swamp, baby. You're he heading back down there. Yeah. That's where your in-laws are from, right? So, yeah, my wife's rodeo. 
My wife, my wife's from a suburb of uh, Orlando called Apopka. Uh, yeah. And uh, so we're going to Apopka. The, uh, uh, I'm excited. Well, I'm for context, I'm, I'm uh, more than two weeks out from my second vaccine dose as of Friday. So I am a immortal baby. I'm going to live forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I'm ex- a little excited to go to a place where no one's going to be wearing a mask and won't judge me if I walk around with no mask. <laughs> <laughs> feel a little bit normal for a little bit i don't know yeah can i so you know you're smart mark so i want to ask you because i don't i'm in between uh doses right now i get my Mm. second vaccine dose next week and i'm thrilled about it but i'm a little confused on what the rules are after you get a vac because like to me i'm white trash and a dumbass right and i admit that to me it's like once you get a vaccine like you're good right but but apparently not like what what are the goddamn rules, Mark? Because I don't, I don't know. Well, <laughs> all the people we're going to see have been double vaxxed, like our parents and stuff. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm assuming we're staying in their house. Like uh, we canceled Christmas because we didn't want to like sit in their house in a mask because that would have been miserable. Um, now it's seen. I don't know, man. Like I, like John Oliver did a good piece this week trying to explain like w- what the CDC is actually saying, but people are confused. It's right. very confusing. I'm very it's confused. A- and it, to me, it's not very motivational to be like, get your double vax. It doesn't change anything. I know. You know no, like- exactly. That's what I'm saying. It's like, if we, if, if it doesn't, then what are we, you know, but Adam R. Cornblute says, uh, Disney World is the safest place in the state. Also, the most magical. I added that. No, I mean, part. yeah, I don't know. I've heard, heard the horror stories about all the, uh, people that died at Disney World and Disneyland. Yeah, so I don't no, know I don't. Yeah. I don't, but- <laughs> Natalie Anderson says, I like wearing a mask. It hides my double chin. Be safe. Wear a mask. Look, uh, I, I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm in, not. I, I, if you want it, like, I, like, I'm not one of those people who's like, fuck you for wearing a mask. These people outside the school. No. I don't like, like, if, if you're not vaccinated or if you're just even, even if you just like it because it helps your allergies, I don't give a shit. You do what you do. I don't like. Uh, so, yeah. okay. First, on that note, like, I'm. I also I'm I'm actually a bit of an introvert in my day to day life and everything. I'm socially awkward. I also like having my face covered up because I feel like my face looks dumb when I walk around all the time, and I like people not being able to see it. That's fine. But I You're also too wear, famous. People, the fans mob you. Yeah, that's not at all what I mean. <laughs> that's not a problem I have at all. But I but I also wear glasses every day, and I'm I don't know if I'm just a shitty mask wearer or whatever. But I it causes problems fogs my glasses up it's a whole thing i can't stand wearing a mask but i'll gladly keep doing it as long as i need to um i really will but i don't like it but the other thing i just want to know like when i'm double vaxxed can i go to a bar and watch a playoff game that's what i want to know want to do megan flanagan says i I haven't had a dude tell me to smile in over a year (laughs) totally worth it i i sincerely understand people who are like i i like this mask thing i get it but I'll, yeah, we probably uh, we, we we live like one public transport stop away from the gym. So I take the I take the the, the metro a lot um, in normal times, and uh, I'll probably wear them. I'll keep wearing the mask probably uh, in full and flu season on the bus. Like why why would I not? It's a it, it's not it's not a big imposition, which is the thing. Like no, we spent a year right. arguing about it. It's like I don't like that it fogs on my glasses. Yeah, that's not fun. You got to no, get the know, ones. With, yeah, but again, gotta, I'll I'll gladly keep wearing. Yeah, it. I know I, we're on the same page. Know, we're on the same page. I'm not. I'm not. I, I'm not all like, admonishing you, but but I do want to know what 
once we get vaccinated, what can we then do? I'm trying to go back out there and do shows again. I want yeah. like I want the goddamn world to come back, man. Yes. When yeah. the you fuck is watch- that gonna happen? And why do we you, even you have watch- vaccines if it ain't in the cards? Because of dumbasses yeah. who won't get it or what? Like you want to you want to watch the Raiders draft a punter to play wide receiver in a bar <laughs> yeah. on a Sunday like yes. a normal person. Yeah, and be filled with rage by it. I want to go to Neyland yeah. Stadium and Neyland Stadium in Knoxville and watch my Vols get embarrassed again. Yeah. I miss doing that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I I think we're all on the same page. It, uh, it, it, I think my the clearest my clearest understanding of what the CDC is saying is like there's still a pandemic, and we, we we're we because we didn't do the research yet on how easily you spread it even after the vaccine. We know you don't get it, the disease. You can still, we don't know if you still carry the virus. Even though we're pretty sure you don't, we can't 100% tell you you don't. So to protect the immunocompromised people, if you're going to see your grandma, she can't get the vaccine because she has like a blood cancer or whatever, wear your fucking mask. I get it. That, that, that makes sense yeah. to me. But also, uh, we had two straight days in LA County with zero deaths, and I feel good about that. Yeah. Clifford Nickerson says, I haven't had a cold since the pandemic started. That's actually another really good point that I didn't. I saw a tweet a few weeks ago or whatever. It's like crazy how I haven't been sick this past year when I've been taking all these measures to keep from getting sick. And I was like, holy shit, they're right. Like, cause I also have, I haven't been sick either. And it's like, it's weird how that works when you wash your hands and wear a mask and do all that <laughs> shit and you don't get my conspira- sick. That's crazy. My conspiracy theorist neighbor was like, you know, my neighbor that works at the pharmacy told me no, almost nobody got the flu last year. Mm-hmm, <laughs> isn't that? It's like, well, he's trying to say this cause they just put all the, and I'm like, well, nobody's kissing strangers. Are riding the bus, right. or getting on airplanes, or going, and everybody's wearing masks and washing their hands. Plus, we have far more immunity built into the flu. So, COVID, COVID constraining mechanisms or like efforts would do triple well against the flu because you're going to get the flu less anyway. So, yeah. I think you solved your own riddle there, buddy. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> they, it's funny how often they do that, solve their own riddle without realizing it. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, like, why is it only. Republican post to get flagged as being misleading. What's that about? You know, that type of thing. Adam R. Cornblute says, thank you for pronouncing my last name correctly. You're one of a few people, much props. We read this only just because it's one of the very few occasions in which I actually pronounce a name correctly. So mm. thank you uh, for <laughs> for letting me know that I did so. All right. Well, that's it for this week's <laughs> episode of Weekly Skews. We'll be back next week on the eve of my second vaccine dosage. And who knows what else will have happened. Oh, we may or may not have Smart Mark because he's going to Florida. We'll see what happens. But if we don't, we'll have somebody who also, maybe Corey will be here and say some more dumb shit. We'll see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> next week on Weekly Skews. Thank you very much. So you love you. Bye.